Hey Angela, how are you? Hi Jeffrey, well thanks. That's great. Hey, in the process of putting this podcast together, I believe you came up with a new collective noun for people who work at Austrade. <laughs> I reckon you should share it with everyone. Well, you know, here in Canberra we do have a lot of collective nouns for various public servants and I was just thinking that Austradey was a good one that fits people that work for Austrade. What do you reckon? I reckon it's perfect and I reckon listeners will start using it all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Sol- Hi, I'm Angela Lehman. I'm the head of research at the Ligon Group. And I'm Jeffrey Smart, one of the directors and co-founders of the Ligon Group. The Ligon Group are a bunch of international education nerds. We live and breathe everything to do with international education. And we put the student experience at the heart of everything we do in support of our clients. And we're thrilled to have been joined in the last couple of weeks by our newest team member, Varsha Balakrishnan, who is our new education analyst. So Varsha, if you're listening in, g'day. It's fantastic to have you on board. In this episode, we're talking with one of the key players in Australia's international education sectors and someone with a huge job at this difficult moment in time. Last week, Jeffrey sat down actually in person for the first <laughs> time since we've been running this podcast with Melissa Banks from Austrade's Centre for Excellence in International Education. So in this episode, we'll hear about what's ahead for building and rebuilding brand Australia in the post-pandemic context and the importance of transnational education for recovery and more. So I guess I got the big job of trying to introduce Melissa Banks in like two and a half minutes. So Melissa is the head of the Centre of Excellence for International Education at Austrade, as Angela said. Melissa's a special person. She's of the sector and in her new role, she's now supporting the sector. In Melissa's long career, she's worked within universities at IDP. She ran her own very successful international education consultancy for many years. And of course, she's the immediate past president of IEAA. She's worked in the full spectrum of universities from a dual sector to a group of eight. She's worked for universities with campuses in regional Australia and in peri-urban and metropolitan centres. And in her role, she spanned every element of international education. So she's kind of done it all. And she has a really unique view of our sector in all its complexity. Melissa's also a big thinker, a really strategic thinker. Uh, she's someone who knows international education inside and out. And I know she's got so many fans out there of listeners to the SourcePod, so we're thrilled to be able to talk to Melissa Banks. The Centre for Excellence in International Education is a relatively new concept in Austrade. We started out by asking Melissa if she could describe what the Centre for Excellence is and what it does and what she does. She explained that Austrade is now structured around industry centres of excellence who need to work with their colleagues across the network in new and interesting ways. So we're a very small team, but we're a team of industry people. So we've come from the sector. And the point of us is to be seen as that internal team of experts. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know the answer, then we know where to go to find it. And we know who to ask. People like you, Jeffrey. But also we are the connective tissue, if you Mm -hmm. like, so that we connect activity at post and activity in Canberra and activity um, in in other offices that Austrade has throughout its vast network. Mm. 
we connect them up around a sector strategy so that we know at any point in time that, well, we have confidence that people know what we're trying to do and that that's being consistently executed across the network. So that's the intent. We're not entirely there yet, but we're certainly making good progress. And Melissa is, of course, a newbie to working within government, and she told us that she was really delighted to get inside Austrade and to see some of the talent and expertise that exists within Austrade right across the network. One of her core aims is really to bring this expertise to life for education providers and other clients of Austrade. That is one of the big learnings for me. It was absolutely delightful, actually, mm. to arrive and just see the expertise is incredible and I think you know what I'm going to enjoy doing is connecting that expertise and that entire network and the connections they've got and the knowledge with providers that's going to be a really exciting development and you know talking to the mates in the sector, even they are saying, well, actually, we kind of need to be trained in how to work with government too. So this is kind of, you know, a whole new way of looking at it. So, yeah, I think I'm excited by that too. I think this excitement is definitely, you know, a two-way thing, Jeffrey. As we've seen recently, we've been speaking to a lot of Austradies offshore and onshore as a part of our ongoing work. And we've heard that there is a lot of excitement and, and energy within the organisation for all of these changes. So we asked Melissa to give us some insight into what she would like to achieve as the head of the Centre of Excellence and how she wants Austrade to support international education at a time of really unprecedented disruption. Australia's international education sector has not experienced a period of disruption this significant in the last four decades and this is what she's told us. So obviously the sector's been so heavily impacted by COVID and also not just the borders and the border situation but even just the social distancing and the isolation periods. I mean that's really impacted the experience, the student experience for those students who are in Australia. So that's been a real issue. So not being silent is really important in my view. So trying to communicate and aggregate information for students is really important. So, and and I consider students part of the sector. So a service to current students is important. But really, Austrade is our mandate is all about marketing and promotion of Australia's education internationally. So I'll come to those initiatives in a minute. But we also support providers and help providers build their capacity and, you know, their literacy, I guess, around the countries in which they want to operate. With borders closed, it's been really tough. We can't travel, obviously. Mm. Students can't come to us. Mm. Numbers are declining significantly. Alicos um, and the pathways have been especially impacted. But so too is higher ed. Mm. Vet is not as bad because students are transferring into cheaper programs that enable them to remain on a student visa. Mm. So you can understand the, the student driver. So for providers, we're building a lot of social and digital tools that we think will enable them mm. once borders do open mm. 
to really take advantage of the activities that we're initiating now. Mm. And, you know, one of those is a T&E initiative, a really big one. But in addition to that, you know, we have the market information package and we're really trying to work on the intelligence that we can provide, the insights and, you know, help providers build their capability around exporting, but also just, you know, in general engagement, international engagement during these tricky times when you can't actually be there. Yeah, it's a really interesting time for Melissa to be joining her fellow Australians at Australia trades because we're really at an existential crisis in international education, the likes of which we've never seen before. We asked Melissa about some of the damage that Australia's brand as an education destination has taken recently, and we asked her what she sees as some of the challenges in repairing that damage as we all look, hopefully, to borders reopening at some point soon. There's no easy way forward on this. I think it's going to be a bit of a grind, really, but well worth the effort. The approach we're taking in Austrade is to, I guess, rebuild confidence and trust in Australia. We're obviously tainted by the fact that our borders remain closed. Initially, we were seen as a safe destination, I would Mm. say. I'll just leave it at that. But as the year and the months have rolled on and COVID just seems to be continuing, other countries are opening up their borders. And so now we're starting to be seen as inaccessible and therefore unwelcoming. And it's that unwelcoming piece that we want to debunk. Mm. We can't do much about the, um, the borders until federal government determined that they will open them. And as we know, there's a, a, a health agenda running there. And so that will happen when the time is right. But right now, mm-hmm. students, we want them to know that we welcome them and value them. And so we've been running a My Australia initiative, which is just taking regular students and getting them to tell their stories. And, you know, where they've got... Um, you know, work placements with maybe Sonda. We're talking to the supervisor at Sonda and saying, well, you know, how have you found this? And the stories are incredibly compelling. They're really, really positive. So just trying to re-engage the market. We're also looking to engage agents. So agents want to know what's going on and they want to know before the students know. <laughs> so, and, and I think that's fair because, you know, they are the, the local experts And so I think they want an open dialogue with government. It's not always easy to deliver on that, but, um, you know, providing information I think is just so important Mm. to such important influences um, and stakeholders like parents and agents and so on. I think it's great that Melissa is thinking along three different lines in a way in her new role. She's thinking about international students and their experiences because without international students, as you and I know, international education wouldn't exist in our sector. She's thinking about some of the challenges facing Brand Australia and how over the longer term we're able to all work together as a sector to help repair that damage. And it comes across really palpably in our conversation with Melissa that she's thinking about sector stakeholders and how she and Austrade can best support the sector at this critical moment. And I think that 
She's thinking about sector stakeholders in the broader sense, agents, education providers, and the myriads of businesses, big and small, that work in or benefit from international education, whether that's tourism, accommodation providers, you know, the whole gamut, really. Yeah, and she's doing all this at a time of real constant global change and flux, isn't she? Even within Australia, but within all of the markets that Austrade has a presence. So it certainly is a, a difficult and challenging role. This pandemic has shone a brighter spotlight on transnational education in all of its modes. And we've, of course, dedicated a whole podcast episode to TNE. And in many of our earlier episodes, it's come up in various ways. Melissa and Austrade are meeting the moment with a new TNE project to build a comprehensive searchable database of all Australia's TNE footprint. And it's really exciting from schools, vocational education, training programs, pathways, opportunities, twinning arrangements, offshore campuses and online delivery projects. It's a really exciting project and we asked Melissa to tell us more about it. A student who's sitting in China right now who might be thinking, oh, I really wanted to do my year 12 in Australia, but I can't go there. Well, they actually can choose from 42 different locations to do the VCE in their own country. But how would you know? Where do you go to get that information? From a student perspective, how do they find courses that they can do from home? There are online programs, but not all students want to do online. Mm -hmm. And the idea of this T&E project is about capturing in one market-facing place all the courses that students can do. And so they're all the courses that students can do from home which includes online Mm -hmm. and includes locally taught or uh, transnational education. Both of those come under the definition of transnational, but the information that's been missing has been that second piece around locally taught courses. And, of course, we also promote all the courses that students can do onshore. So we actually now will have Australia's only data source Mm -hmm. of all the courses offered by Australian providers to international students. So this is really important for the students because they can now choose the option that best suits their circumstances. And right now, it's courses that they can access from home. Yes. So when we were talking with Melissa, I said, I guess students being able to search for options to start their Australian studies offshore now is one thing, but the strength of the tool will rely on providers being able to enter all of their T&E programs into it. So I asked Melissa how that's going. You correctly point me to the fact that having it is one thing, students knowing about it is another thing. And so... We expect the course search tool to have that huge capacity to present all learning options as of probably the first week of June, if I'm being safe. The deadline to finish it is the 25th of May. So if providers haven't submitted their stuff, they better hurry up. (laughs) We will, of course, continue to update it. But the critical point about that date is that in June, we have very substantial campaigning 
going on to raise awareness in the market mm -hmm. of this tool. Yeah. So we will be promoting uh, substantial campaigns. Yeah, so they're pretty tight timelines. I asked Melissa if she has sort of a message for providers. And if so, is it something like this? If you've got a fabulous campus in Malaysia or twinning programs or offshore pathways colleges in Vietnam, in Sri Lanka, who knows, in Zanzibar, make sure you let Austrade know so that they can be included in the searchable database arrangement. Because I guess thinking back to my university days, I wouldn't want to be in the position of this thing going live and to have important programs missed. This is how Melissa responded. At the moment, we have got, we've probably, I think we've probably got about 70% mm -hmm. of the information that we need that I know about. You know, so I can look at the list and go, well, where's University X? They haven't submitted their stuff. And I have been reaching out to some of them, but um, we don't just want higher ed. No. We, you know, we want the Alicos programs. I know that NIAS has accredited 20 online Alicos programs mm. over the last 12 months. They're the courses we want um, mm. because students can start that now. They can start their English language training from home um, and one day when the borders open, they can come and join us here. Now, Angela, you're absolutely right in your introduction to this section talking about the number of times our podcast has touched on T&E in some ways. And I asked Melissa if she'd like to nerd out with us on transnational education, particularly in comparing the size and scale of UK and Australian transnational education. It's one of the Ligon Group's pet obsessions. In higher ed alone, UK universities enrol three times more students than Australian universities do. UK universities have 10 times the number of purely online international student enrolments. The UK has a massive schools footprint. In 2017, schools generated 2.33 billion in revenue from their T&E activities. This is UK schools. And even in the first year of the pandemic, 2020, UK schools opened 20 new international campuses, the majority of which are in China. So we were asking Melissa so given the impact of the pandemic on Australia's onshore international enrolments, does she see T&E beginning to play an even bigger role in a post-pandemic world? And this is what she told us. So you know that I've been, um, I guess, a student of T&E for many, many years in that it's an area that I keep myself informed about and have actually set up, you know, many T&E initiatives over my career. You know, I've been involved in branch campuses, all sorts of things. I've been very lucky. But, you know, all the indicators are there, Jeffrey. You know, the data is telling us right now 50% of Alicost students are studying online. Mm. It's never been that high. Mm. Revenue from correspondence courses that's online. Mm -hmm. Correspondence is such an old term. It um, but it's used by the ABS. So ABS tell us that um, revenue increased from $8 million in 2019 to almost $2 billion in 2020. Now, this is during a pandemic, mm. right? The first part of a pandemic um, because the 2020 data would have been the first six months. Mm. So we've seen a significant increase in revenue just through that indicator. A couple of other indicators are generally T&E has accounted for about 25% of student enrolments in higher ed and in the TAFE sector, it's actually been very significant for them. And it's gone fairly flat. There hasn't been huge growth. But VET, they increased 19% in 2019. So there was growth before pandemic, right? Mm. 
And for higher ed, it went up about 4%. So there was already some movement and the universities that I'm talking to with foreign branch campuses are all noticing increases. Mm. So the foreign branch campuses are growing. And so it's just another indicator. The other thing that's worth knowing is that we've got 154,000 primary visa holders who are currently located offshore. That's 33% of all our international students studying on a student visa. They are located offshore. We've never had that before. So, you know, and some of the other indicators, we ran a pilot with FutureLearn where we showcased a whole lot of short courses. Now, this was before my time. Well done, Rebecca Hall. <laughs> but, we, you know, that was run over April to June in 2020, and that program attracted 830,000 enrolments in just that amount of time. Now, a lot of them, it was freemium. A lot of it was freemium stuff, but it just shows the appetite for this stuff. And I think, you know, you've, you've just talked about the UK, they are ahead of the curve. We've got a lot of ground to make up. I think the pandemic has helped us in that regard because we've had to. We've had to change what we need, what we were doing. Let's hope we do it well. So, you know, I, as much as I'm a bit of a fan of giving students options so that they can study from home or they might even combine a bit of study at home and then transfer to Australia, it's got to be good quality. Because really, that's what we are known for. That's why we are chosen, because students know that they are going to get a good quality, internationally recognised qualification. Modes of delivery speak to different student motivations and different segments of students. So, you know, making a play for a more purely online delivery is going to be touching a very different segment of students from ones that we've traditionally engaged with at scale in Australia. And this is really important for us, I think, to get our heads around. So, post-pandemic, there'll be room for our onshore student numbers to rebuild, but there'll also be opportunities for hybrid learning. But there should also be a big play around another group of students, and these are the ones that are not really ready to study overseas and they want to still access quality online education provision. They're happy to take the mode of delivery as being online. And then, of course, there's also people who want to study on campus and so on. So there's a whole group of different segments of international students that Australia and Australian universities should be ready to really engage with as we come out of this. I think that's a really important point because, you know, Students who were already studying with Australia and got forced to go online, they are largely unhappy with that experience, I would think, even domestic students. And I know because my kids are university age and one has, in fact, deferred going to university because she does not want to study online. She did year 12 online. It was hell. So they don't want to do that. But as you say, there are segments out there that do want to do that. And I don't think we've been attracting those. So as much as we we get that there's a, a segment in the market that does want face-to-face on-campus delivery, that's largely the segment that we have been attracting to date. 
It's the other segments we know very little about, but clearly they exist because look at the UK data. So I think, Angela, we learn a lot from our conversation with Melissa. And as we've said, international education in this country is facing its biggest existential crisis, the biggest crisis it's faced in four decades. And really, Austrade has to do a lot of the heavy lifting to try and get us back to a competitive position. It's not just Austrade that has to do this work, of course. It's the study destinations. And Austrade, of course, leads the Study Australia Partnership Program, which includes all of the study destinations sitting around a table and thinking about how to make Australia competitive once more. She's told us about what she hopes she and Austrade can achieve for students repairing brand Australia and for sector stakeholders. And it's been a bit fascinating, hasn't it, to gain an insight into how Austrade operates. You referred to some of the work we've been doing with the on and offshore teams and just how damned hard they all work. It's been really fascinating in these conversations we've been having to see just the amount of work that is being done and the amount of expertise that Australia currently has, particularly with its offshore teams who really do understand the ins and outs, the context and flows and economies and social changes going on in the country where they are based. And we do have a really great resource there. And I think a lot of the challenges coming forward are probably really around connecting this expertise and bringing it into the Australian sector and connecting our industry up with other industries here. It's not an easy job, but we're in a good position. Absolutely. And I think she, uh, Melissa said earlier on in this episode that as a person coming in from the sector, so having been on the client side, if you like, of Austrade for all of her career and then entering onto the government side, that she almost thinks that there's a job to do to educate the sector about how to work better with government because possibly the sector doesn't always understand how to maximise the value that there is sitting in Austrade and some of the study destinations and so on. So I just thought that was a really interesting insight that she had. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that's one of the key things I think we've seen, haven't we, as a, as a sector through this pandemic is bridging those gaps of communication and understanding and motivation between our sector and government has its challenges. We have a good uh, ally in Austrade right now to help us with that. Yeah, correct. Well, Angela, that brings us to the end of episode seven. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as we said on the last episode, this year we're releasing an episode of The Source Pod every other month. So we'll be back in your feeds in July. You can follow The Ligon Group on LinkedIn and Twitter and subscribe to The Source Pod wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you later, Angela. See you, Jeffrey.